Choose life, choose a sport, choose a drop zone, choose a start time, choose a fucking big jump plane, choose turbine engines, speed, unlimited altitude, and endless horizons. Choose height, no low turns, and travel insurance. Choose jump tickets, choose tiny action cameras, choose your mates, choose a rig and matching helmet, choose swoop shorts and a range of fucking fabrics, choose 120 vertical speed and wondering who the fuck you are on a Sunday morning. Choose sitting on that couch, watching debriefs, spirit-saving slow-mos, smashing beers after last load. Choose standing on the podium at the end of it all. Choose a win you'll love every time. And the reasons? There are no reasons. Who needs reasons when you fly NZ Aerosports? Of course, I absolutely love the NZ Aerosports business model. I mean, come on. One glance at an Icarus fuck yeah sticker and you know it lines up perfectly with the fucking pilot mentality. But outside their wonderful use of colorful language and a great company vibe... There's a long list of reasons to say NZ Aerosports, fuck yeah. NZ Aerosports blows me away right out of the gate as a canopy manufacturer with a bold offer. They give you 10 jumps on your brand new nylon to decide if you want to keep it, swap it out, or even return it for a refund. I mean, seriously, how incredible is that? That's like getting halfway through a prom and deciding you prefer the slightly racier date that goes down faster. Seriously, they do that. If you're not madly in love with your new canopy after 10 jumps, they'll let you swap it out for another size or model or even get your money back. And the range of canopies they've got? Man, they've got a style canopy to fit every jumper and every situation with models you know and trust, like the Sapphire 3, the perfect choice for the beginner or intermediate canopy pilot, the Crossfire 3 when you're ready to kick it up that elliptical notch, the JFX 2 if you're looking to up your new swoop game, the Leia as the workhorse and dirt water dirt beast, or the Petra. The Petra cranks out crazy power and is nothing short of a record breaker. But hey, it's not always about speed either. Take the Kraken. Built as a low pack volume canopy, specifically with wingsuiting in mind, she gives you all the performance you're looking for with the reliability you need that'll have you itching for that next formation, rodeo, or puffy cloud. So the equipment is top of the line kick-ass stuff as you already know, but how about the team? Well, the customer service gang is there to sort you out whenever you need them. Maddie and Beto are always there to help with Jen holding the reins. They're available for you at sales at nzaerosports.com and they've got a kick-ass live chat tool on the website if you're wanting to hit someone up right away. These are the crew you're going to want to talk to to get those custom orders in. With the stock nylon, once you know what you want, they'll have that shit on a FedEx truck as soon as the credit card machine says approved and get you in the air in no time. For your custom orders, you'll be able to get a time frame for building and shipping when you design it, so get to it. And demos. They've got demos in the U.S. available from their partner Rock Sky Market. The whole U.S. demo fleet is there with Sapphire 3, Crossfire 3, Kraken, JFX2, and Leia canopies in a range of sizes. They also offer student and tandem demos in the U.S. Bottom line, every step of the way, NZ Aerosports is there to get you what you need, and I personally couldn't be happier to be teamed up with them here on Lunatic Fringe. And now, time to get started with Lunatic Fringe Into the Void, brought to you proudly by NZ Aerosports. Fuck yeah! Coming straight from the cockpit, it's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go! All right, back in the can for another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void. Another fun one here for you, so I'm diving straight in. Who the fuck are you, and what do you do? (laughs) Well, the name is Troy Hartman, uh, and a lot of listeners may not even know who the fuck I am anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Because I I used to be the big MTV skydiver, I think 20, I don't know, it's been more than 20 years now or something, sky surfer. Um, and, uh, now I'm just kind of an old dude with a family, but I, I, I did used to do some pretty cool shit. <laughs> you know, it's so fucking funny because I've been lucky enough through this podcast to interview some of the newest up and comers and some of the quote old timers and the old timers. I think it's sacrilege that the kids don't know who they are. Cause this was not that fucking long ago. 
No, I know, I know. It's crazy, isn't it? it? It's Things so just crazy. Things just change so so quickly now with the videos that are coming out. I think GoPro and YouTube just changed everything. It did. You know, the dynamic of it. It did, because it used to be uh, not exactly an exclusive club, but it was at least a smaller club of people that were actually able to film all the cool shit that they were doing, and now everybody, everybody. Yeah. Oh, yeah, my God. It's it's, it's crazy. I'm blown away, too, by what I see out there now. It's like, yeah. I, I'm just like, shit, I'm glad I got in when I did. Cause <laughs> right? I, I actually wouldn't have the balls to do a lot of the stuff I'm seeing now. It's nuts. <laughs> well, you know, I'll tell you, no, we're going to go over a list of some of the shit that you've done, and I think some of that stuff still shouldn't be done. So I, I, wouldn't, go, I wouldn't go that far. But uh, we're going to jump back a little bit because – um, for those that do know who you are, they're already smiling, thinking about some of the shit that they've seen you do. For those that don't, let's jump all the way back to the beginning and how you got started, not necessarily just in skydiving, but in anything considered extreme. Yeah, well, uh, pretty much I was I wanted to be a pilot. That's it, my whole life. Hmm. Uh, my dad was a pilot, private pilot, and I just knew that's what I wanted to do, uh, set my aim towards just that and uh, ended up going to the Air Force Academy. So I spent um, three and a half years at the Academy until I really fucked up and got my ass thrown out of there. (laughs) No shit. Oh, Oh, yeah, and that's a story in itself. Um, A lot of people that that know me, I've told the story quite a few times. I might not tell all the details on a podcast, but uh, I just, you know, I started flying real young. I got into the Academy at, at 17, um, and you know, the, the male cerebral cortex or whatever doesn't develop till they're 27 or something. Something like so that. So really I, I shouldn't have been, I shouldn't have been given the free reign of, of airplanes. And I was an instructor pilot and I was, I was able to just take a plane and check it out. And I was flying all the time. I was doing exactly what I set out to do. And sure. I was just on the weekends, just taking an airplane and going and doing this and that. And, uh, I just got real into all the low flying and buzzing and just all the bullshit flying underneath bridge all that shit you know that i just got i just got carried away I was sure. like, wow you know i i felt like i was already a fighter pilot right and uh i got i got too low and i i took something out might have been might have been an animal and i can't say for sure uh and anyway long story short i crashed the plane i survived luckily the guys with survived and uh i got my ass booted yeah um so that was a that was a that was a real shitty time in my life. You know, that was the worst time in my life. You know, okay. my parents my parents were real down on me. Um, <clears throat> during my senior year at the academy, though, I used to go down on the bus. Uh, actually, junior and senior year, I'd ride the bus down to the airfield uh, almost every day at the end of in the afternoon to go teach the the the, the you know. Uh, the pilot training program and the wings of blue mm. skydiving team, they went down on the same bus. And I thought the, I just thought the whole skydiving thing was f- just fucking nuts. I thought those guys were crazy. <laughs> I heard horror stories from them. And all I heard on the bus ride down was, Oh, so-and-so he just broke his ankle. And so-and-so, cause the way they train them there is crazy, man. Sure. They, they basically take two weeks of ground training, teach them how to arch. And then, and then they go up and they, they, they jump out on their own and count to 10. <laughs> And pull. I mean, that is like, I don't know how they haven't had people dying left and right. I mean, right. It's just most aggressive. And I heard just horror stories about people just, just tumbling, just tumbling, 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 trying to count to 10 and sure. pulling and having two parachutes open because of this and that. So I, I just, there was no way I thought it was the dumbest thing, but this guy, his name's Brian Gillum. I'm sure, uh, all the air force, he was on the wings of blue and, mm. um, he, uh, he would ride the bus down with me. We were really good friends and we'd, we'd chat on the way down and he kept saying, man, you should, you should skydive. He goes, I know you, you'd love it. I just, I can see it in you. You, you'd love it. And I'm like, hell no, I'm (laughs) I'm not going to do that. No way. And I was really adamant. He kept inviting me on these things to just go out to one of the local drop zones out there in Colorado. He kept inviting me. I kept turning him down. Mm. Uh, finally he, he tricked me. He just straight up tricked me. We went on a ops mission, you know, back East we went to his house. We had a few days off and he said, Hey, we're going to go on a hike. And he, uh, of course we show up at the hiking spot and it's an airport and it happened to be the ranch in New York. Oh, nice! And of course, as we come pulling in around the corner, I see a runway. I'm like, you know, no way, man, I'm not doing it. I still was like, I'm not doing it. 
The, the thing that made me do it, the thing that finally changed my mind, because I was still, even at the drop zone, I was not, I just was like, no, I don't, I don't, I'm not into it. It doesn't sound safe. It just sounds like a, he, so he said, I'm going to go up and do a jump with these guys and, and then whatever. And, uh, so they landed and I saw them, you know, gather and start, you know, taking little stamps and putting them in a book and all this. I'm like, what are you guys doing? Oh, this is what we did. And they showed me the little book with the little stamps. And I'm like, like what? You guys saw each other up there. <laughs> I'm like, he's like, well, yeah. And he's like, and then we did that. And I'm like, you guys touched each other up there. You guys were up there doing this. You were touched. And then my, it just all of a sudden I went, well, wait a minute. This isn't about just plummeting to your death. This is like you guys are actually doing something up there because this was way before video. Sure. This was back in like 92, yeah. whatever. No one knew. You had no idea except for Point Break came out, which was actually – that was a, a bit of an eye-opener too. Sure. So so I, I went up and did the jump, obviously fell in love with it. And the craziest thing, it must have been destiny because when we got down, it was kind of the end of the day. Everybody started drinking. And somebody said, hey, you got to see this video, man. It's the craziest thing. He popped a VHS tape in. And it was uh, Patrick, the guy yeah. on doing the Planet uh, Planet Reebok commercial, that one that came out in 91. Yep. Suicide Blonde, and he's sky surfing. And it was like the first time anybody had ever seen sky surfing. Yep. Here I am. I just landed for my first jump. I'm like on top of the world. I'm like, I'm doing that. That's what I'm going to do. And I was like, that is it. That is what I'm going to do. And of course, they're looking at me like, okay, guy, yeah, this new guy, you're going to do that. But I was, man, I, I said, can I have a copy of that videotape? They gave me a copy of that tape. I went back to the academy and I swear I, I ran that thing out till it was just dead. I watched it over and over and over and I was determined. Wow. And so when I got, when I got thrown out, out of the academy, the natural thing was, well, I guess I just got to become a sky surfer. <laughs> so I can't be a fighter pilot. Dude, but this. What a what a great fucking story, though. Yeah, when I got when I got tossed out of the Air Force Academy, of course I was going to be a sky surfer. That's fucking perfect. I mean, it was it was all laid out for me. I mean, like it was like destiny. Absolutely perfect. So, so you get. You get the opportunity to to go out and make a first jump almost uh, uh, pretty much against your will. And this cracks me up about so many different jumpers that I've talked to um, were either not really thrilled with the idea, completely against it, or fucking horrified when they did the jump. And these are the jumpers that turn out to be the most enthusiastic, passionate skydivers. What uh, what is yeah. it? Do you think that's about that? I mean, is it uh, um, that it just turned out to not be what you expected, or it was uh, what what grabbed you? You know what grabbed me about it was uh, I just again it comes to my pilot core. Mm. You know anything aviation related, I've always wanted to be. I mean, I just want to be a fighter pilot. Mm. You know that's just a Top Gun. You know, sure. it's like that is what I want to do. Of course, any kids or an astronaut, but. I figured, you know, that's aiming a little too high. I'll just go for fighter pilot. <laughs> sure. And uh, seeing those guys, or not seeing them, but knowing that these guys were out there doing maneuvers mm. in the sky, to me, that was like fighter pilot. Sure. Like, that kind of still defines what I'm going after. They're up in the sky <clears throat> perfecting these skills. And and it, and it and it was, yeah, it just made sense for me. Now, the, I, this, the, and I, it was no problem. The jump was no problem. I mm got out there and I was like, oh, this is totally great. So for me, it was a no brainer, but I have to say the ones who are terrified who do the first jump and it scared the crap out of them. I got a lot of respect for them to, you know, to get back in. And I mean, they're the ones who had to fight through that fear. I sure. mean, I never had that. I never had any fear with it, which made it super easy. It was like, so that, that part was, was no problem. So, um, yeah, I it just it was, for me it just made total sense. Awesome. Now, so you you were lucky enough that literally from the word go, you knew where you wanted to take your skydiving career. Um how how much resistance did you get cuz I mean, if an AFF student walked up to me as an instructor and said, "I'm going to go be a sky surfer," I would have been, "All right, fuck. We're going to have to manage expectations with this one." I mean, <laughs> did did you get a lot of pushback? Oh, well, I'll tell you how that went down. So uh, I come back to California. That's I, I ended up finishing my degree in San Luis Obispo in California, and they had a drop zone there. So fortunately, uh, immediately, as soon as I rolled into town, I said, where are all the skydiving zones? And so I went out to this drop zone, Cessna drop zone, 
uh, said, yeah, I want to continue jumping. I didn't say anything about sky surfing because I only had, I had finished my AFF in Colorado and I had like 12 jumps. Mm. And so I did, I did like 10 more before I said, you know, oh, I got, I got this all figured out. I said, I, you know what? I think I'm going to, I'm going to get a board. <laughs> they just, I mean, that was where obviously they just, you know, ah, you know, the jokes or laugh. Yeah. Now everybody's making jokes. Oh, sure. you're going to be, I realized, I realized right then and there that they were never going to allow it. They right. just kind of, it was just a big joke. So I said, well, I, I'm going to do this. I got to figure out how to do this. So the first thing was, well, I got to build a board can't do anything until I have a board. And there were no boards available back then. Right. Actually, there was. Uh, Jerry Loftus, Surf Flight, was making boards, but he wouldn't sell me one. I had mm. called him. And he said, dude, you got to have a couple hundred jumps. And that's what it was. He said, you, I can't sell you one. So what I did is I found out who made Patrick's bindings. Um, it was Katarina. Katarina is her name. She's in DeLand. Uh, she was making Patrick's bindings. Someone told me about that. Mm. And I just cut out a piece of plywood. I called her and said, Hey, can I get some of those bindings those sky surf bindings you make? She said, yeah, no problem. So she sent me a pair. <laughs> I cut out a piece of plywood and I just threw some bindings on it. I said, well, I got a board, right? <laughs> so I took this board up to, uh, and it wasn't like the sideways mounted. It was forward mounted, like totally wrong, like sure. definitely intermediate, but no one even knew what a side, there was no such thing as a trainer board, obviously. Right. So I went back up to Paso Robles and, uh, said, Hey, I got a board, you know, like thinking, Oh, well, you've made a board. So we'll let, you know, and they're like, well, great. <laughs> Just, you know, whatever you can go sand surf with that or whatever. So I, I, I started talking to people like, what do I do here? I kept, you know, where's a drop zone I can go. How do people get into this? And someone mentioned Lodi. I said, oh, well, man, you could probably go up to Lodi and do God, it. God, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, really okay Lodi all right I heard stories about Lodi right so I said well okay that was about three and a half four hours away so I did I drove up there all by myself and I hung out for a day and just checked out the scene did a couple just solo just so they you know I got into the the manifest and did a couple of jumps sure and then I once I figured out kind of how it all went I finally just went ahead and said that's it I'm doing it now so I just I manifested for a jump it was on the dc3 <laughs> and i went out to the dc3 like 10 minutes before the load and i got on and i sat at the very front you know and stuffed my board underneath the seat <laughs> so you get you know they, they load the plane up everybody load no one knows and i'm sitting at the very front and i'm just fucking nervous as shit you sure. know i just know this is the stupidest thing i'm doing i'm just completely just relying on faith now just i got to do it but i got to do it this is the only way i'm going to do this sure so jump run everybody's filing out filing out and then as soon as there's enough room for me to get my board on <laughs> you know i pop it out from under the seat and the guys that are sitting across from me they see it and they just look at me like what the holy shit really and like you know i look back with big wide eyes yeah really you know like are you gonna say it? you're not gonna narc on me right and of course they're like they're just like trying to get ready for their jump so he just gave me one look like whoa and then just that's it he just ignored me which i was was the plan no right. one's gonna care they're, they're trying to get they're going out the door so i strapped this thing on rushed shaking you know i get this thing on i'm hopping down and Man, I, I I I got out the door and just got my ass kicked. Of course, it's DC three. I mean, I just went out and just was fucking just tumbling, just out of control. But I knew I could cut it away. I, right. mean, I was very very confident that you know that's what I do. Just cut the thing away. But I didn't want to, you know, because then I'm the idiot that rolled into Lodi and cut a board away. So I, and you know, I it was just pure luck. Suddenly, I you know I'm, I rotate around. There's the earth below me, and I just, you know, shove my hands out, and I'm, boom, I'm standing on the board. I'm like, holy shit, holy <laughs> shit, man, I'm sky surfing, I'm standing, I was like, oh my god, I'm looking down, I see the, the board, and I see earth, and I'm like, I am fucking standing on this board. <laughs> I'm not doing anything now, I'm just gonna wait until it's time to pull, right? <laughs> that's it, you know, I'm just, that's it, I'm coming down with this board. And that was the goal. I come down with this board, then I'm a sky surfer. Sure. So, so I, I I deploy, everything goes fine, and I land, and I'm thinking, okay, you know, now now I'm going to take the shit. 
You know, right. now I'm going to be in real trouble because, and Bill Doss, he sees me, you know, cause people are like, Oh, there's this guy sky surfing. So I, you know, I, and he comes out, he walks up to me. I, you know, he comes, picks up my board. He studies it. He kind of, you know, he's looking at it. I'm thinking, Oh, he's going to say whatever he's going to say, Bill Doss. Right. He doesn't, he doesn't say a word. He <laughs> just, he just kind of, he goes, huh. And he just walks away from me. <laughs> That's it. That's that was it. I was like, I'm good to go. <laughs> oh fuck, man! I'll tell you what, man. I, 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 I'm honestly conflicted. I don't know how to feel about finding out that Troy Hartman started out his sky surfing career in fucking Lodi. <laughs> oh right. Well, that was the only jump I did. I think I did two more. Oh, and then that shit. was it. Then that's, I, I know it. Did. <laughs> that's an amazing story, though. I mean, the bottom line is, if you're going to go anywhere, or well, it used to be anyway. If you're going to yeah. go anywhere to try and get away from shit, it was going to be a Lodi. <laughs> of course, of course. And, and luckily, I I was able to do that back then. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, uh, so yeah. we're talking about some pretty pretty rough beginnings you know i mean learning how and obviously you kind of lucked and and uh, just kind of tripped your way through that first jump but did you ever think i mean you knew you wanted to be a sky surfer but did you ever really think it was going to take you where it took you you know it's it's a, it's interesting uh at the time no no i never knew it would take me uh where it did because sure. there was it, i thought it was just going to be this, this cool thing that I could, you know, that I could do that other people, you could, I could show videos and be a part of something and didn't expect much more out of it. But I said, you know what, all I care about is I want to master this. Sure. And I want to, you know, I grew up, I grew up skiing. I grew up, uh, uh, in mammoth in a, you know, ski resort. So we were all, you know, good skiers, racers, and we were all jumping the big cliffs. And I had a few buddies that went on to, to, you know, be big, you know, Glenn Plake style, big, you know, yeah, in the yeah. movies, big oh, yeah. time skiers. So I, I was really drawn to that. Like, you know, that was, that was the first group of people I knew as extreme athletes were the skiers. Mm. And I sort of wanted to have my own little thing because, you know, they had these videos and stuff they'd show and yeah. So, uh, yeah, I just wanted to have my own little part of that where I could be like, Hey man, check out, you know, the sky surfing stuff. You know, I just wanted to get better and have some cool shit to show, you know? Sure. And, uh, so, and my, I was fortunate enough, the reason why I really uh, was able, was what happened was doing the weekend warrior thing uh, in college and my parents, you know, just thought what the, you know, what the heck is, uh, you know, who is that? <laughs> Do I? Yo, you know him. Holy crap. It's been a, while, bro. It's been a long time. <laughs> carry on, carry on. Bro. Keep, keep going. I'm going to stop you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll, um, we'll we'll get to the introductions in a second, but no, please finish that story, and then we'll uh, we'll introduce who just walked into the studio. Yeah, my video's a little fuzzy, so I'm like, it's been a while. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> um. Anyway, yeah. So what happened was I was just plugging away at this, just a weekend thing. My parents. This is when I was still kind of going through the whole like, you got thrown out of the academy. Now you're out spending all your money doing this, whatever this is, sky surfing, which my, my dad thought was just ludicrous. Sure. And it was kind of that weird phase of like, why am I doing this? I'm doing it just because it's really cool. But what's the reason is, is it really going to get me anywhere? Right. And then it, it was, well, I was there at Cal Poly in college that this, I, I remember exactly where I was. I saw a USA Today and somewhere on the front of USA Today, it said ESPN announces new Olympic style uh format for athletes called extreme games mm. whoa and then i go through the list and they have sky surfing in there and it was like boom wow how do how do things line up like this right. it's like now that it's a recognized thing i remember seeing that like that was it when when espn announced the extreme games it was like now i have a reason now sure. i have a purpose for doing this sure um so, so that's, that's how that all, uh, all that came around. Which, and this is actually a pretty fortuitous time for, uh, for this guy to join us in the studio. Um, this sitting right behind me is uh, a guy you might know, uh, Andrew Ford, 40. Oh, Andrew, buddy. <laughs> how okay. Doing, how you doing? All buddy? right. Yeah. Team PlayStation in the house. Yeah. Dang. I didn't know you were out there too. I yeah, could. You were out there. For my sins. Yeah. 
I couldn't resist since I knew you and I were going to be talking and I work with Andy and actually just had Andy on the podcast again uh, not that long ago. There was no way in hell Forty was not going to sit in with me to talk uh, sky surfing with Troy Hartman. Yeah, dude, it's been, well, it's been like 20, 15, 20 years or yeah, something. It's, it's uh, well, wait, wait, wait. So I met you in September 96, Paris, when we did the tryouts and you guys were already rocking it with Paris Airwaves, I believe. Uh-huh. And then, Airwaves, uh, wow. Yeah, yeah. right. So, uh, and then we went to Titusville, Florida. You guys were rocking it in Titusville. I believe you took that one. And that's where Sean brought out the Invisible Man. Yes, uh, gave, yes. Gave you yeah. a bit of a hard time. Um uh, and I still yeah. believe I still believe to this day he pulled that out a little early because if he'd have pulled that out later in the season, maybe at, uh, around the X Games, it would have been a, a oh, yeah. possibly a game changer. Oh, for sure. Uh, but by oh, the X Games, time. obviously everyone was doing it. So yep, yeah, that was a lot of strategy early. with that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so good to see him, my man. Jeez. Yeah, you too, buddy. We'll uh, uh, we'll have everybody join in now. I don't want to jump too far ahead because we were talking just about the uh, beginnings of the X Games, and this is where. Um, I think you really underplay your effect on skydiving and in the mainstream consciousness because sky surfing, both you guys and all the teams that were involved in the X Games were instrumental in bringing skydiving to the forefront of um, pop culture uh, in a way that it had never been before. Um, and it's certainly what got my attention. It was one of the things that drew me into skydiving and also into sky surfing as well. Cause I became a camera flyer for a sky surfer. Uh, so the, it must've been for you, obviously it was the Holy grail. Cause this is what you'd been pushing for. So now mm-hmm. the X games is going to be pulling in sky surfing. So it was, did you have a team member? Did you have a team Were you ready to roll or was it a, okay, fuck, I got to make this happen. No, I got really lucky because <clears throat> right around the time that I uh, had rolled back in from Lodi <laughs> and I actually had a video, <laughs> I got a video. That was the whole point. I had somebody jump with me, prove I was on the board, came back to pass a roll, said, look, guys, this is me on a board, you know, um, and somebody said, hey, you know what? You need to go out to Taft. There's a guy named Rob. Rob, something or other, he's 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 out there in Taft, and he's jumping aboard, and we've heard he's pretty good. Okay, Taft, I don't know where that is, so right. I said, all right, got to go out to Taft. So I roll out to Taft, and sure enough, there's, you know, Joe and Rob out there doing their thing, Oof. and I meet these guys. I hadn't seen any video of them or anything. I just heard uh, that this guy, Rob Harris, was, was you know, out there doing it. Um, Anyway, man, first of all, Rob was one of the most charismatic, just talented dudes. I mean, that guy, Sure. I was just blown away. I was like, oh, my God. I mean, I saw his videos, and then I got to know him. I was like, whoa, okay, I got to just piggyback. I got to be as close <laughs> to this guy as possible every right. day. I can't. <laughs> Hopefully something rubs off. Right. Because this was before anybody knew about him. It was when uh, they had the world – uh, championships. 94 was when Rob first busted out in Eloy for the 94. It was the first U.S. meet for sky surfing. And everybody had heard about him. There's this guy sky surfing. But when those guys rolled into Eloy, right. and I knew what they were doing because I saw their routines prior. And I, I just knew, you know, Rob was about to just show the world what sky surfing was. You sure. know? And uh, I, I was and I met Vic there at the same time. Really? It was just, it, it was pure luck. It was just luck. Vic was Vic had a hundred jumps. We had the same number of jumps. Vic was out there filming tandems, and he saw me with the board. He's like, "Hey, dude, you know, I'll pay my slot. I'd love to come get video of you." No it shit. It just all yeah, it just all happened like that. I just rolled out to Taft, and everything came together. Wow. It was just it was just crazy like that. I and, mean, uh, I knew you and yeah. Vic had been together pretty much from the start, but I didn't realize it was from the very start, like oh, the very beginning. Fucking like, hell. Like he was, I mean, he was, he was coaching me through those first, like he was the one telling me, dude, you got to get a shorter board. You got to, you know, do this. You got to, cause he was out there filming to me, like coming down going, whoa, 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 wait a minute, man. This is not how you do this. Right. Cause I got uh, doing, so I'm, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try helicopters and doing this and that. And so I naturally felt like I needed to catch up. And right. I was, I was just 
really pushing it, really trying things. I was not nowhere near ready to try. And so Vic was out there <laughs> trying not to get hit, you know, trying to fearing for his life. Sure. While I'm spinning upside down out of control. <laughs> He's like, bro, bro, if we're going to do this and I'm going to be out there near you, I got to know, like, it's, I got to have some predictable, something in control, sure. you know? And so, yeah, Vic was kind of my coach, you know, well, his it, first couple hundred jumps. Well, and it's funny, too, because I, I knew Vic and he and I were friends, although not particularly close, but he was such a big teddy bear and he was just so soft around yeah. the edges and so easygoing. So I can picture the dynamic between you two being pretty perfect. Yeah, yeah. No, it was it, it was a perfect pairing. It was great. Well, um, and it came across. He was. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was awesome. It's like you know, it's like being married. It really is. Sure. I mean, any competitive skydiver that, on a team, you know, you know how it is. It's you're, you're married, and you got to sure. make that marriage work. <laughs> it's the dynamic. Well, now you know what was the first uh, competition you guys ended up in? Well, we went to that one in '94 uh, in Eloy, the World Championships '94, which we weren't planning on doing mm. because we were nowhere near ready. We knew Rob and Joe were going. And we said, no, we'll wait for the next one. We'll wait for the next one. But then what happened was ESPN, uh, or it was Pete McKeeman who was running that competition. Pete McKeeman was in touch with ESPN because they were trying to figure out who are the sky surfers that were going to go to this first extreme games. Mm. And so Pete McKeeman said, hey, we have this competition happening in Eloy. Why don't we just take the top from that competition? Sure. And. That got around, and then next thing we knew, it's like, oh, they're going to take the the guys from this competition to the uh, this new. And I thought, well, oh, we well we got to go. Sure. And the thing was, there was an intermediate and an, and an open or whatever, and everybody said, well, of course you guys are going to do the intermediate. We're like, no, we're going for the the advanced, the full open. And of course, they're like, no, you guys can't do that. <laughs> you you got to go intermediate. No, Vic was even the one I think was like, dude, we got to go intermediate. <laughs> If we go intermediate, we got no chance. It's right. like we got go, we got to go open, and so he and I kind of butted heads about it. But then he, he you know, I busted my butt, and uh, we got lucky that that summer uh, it was it was great. We got sponsored by the Drop Zone um, to just do as many jumps as we wanted to go to that event, and it was just great. We just got really fortunate, just really lucky that things lined up how they did. So we did go compete at that, and we made we we made the last slot. Wow. Sixth place was the last slot that would be going to the extreme games. And we just squeezed in there, barely squeezed in there. I mean, this is the, that was the fucking beginning of it all. Cause I remember watching those first competitions and it's so funny sitting all these years later, uh, looking back. Cause, um, you're actually a couple years younger than me. Um, and one cool thing about skydiving is your heroes can come from any age and any background and anything. And I, I actually, um, used your name in an article that I wrote for blue skies very early on, um, quoting my inspirations and heroes and you and Vic were two of the ones that were in this particular article uh, and 40 here as well and watching you guys do this X Games stuff was so instrumental in driving myself and so many other people in skydiving so that's why at the beginning of the podcast it's so funny that now people are like Troy who? Yeah. Because you were so <laughs> instrumental in so many jumpers. But now, and here's the funniest thing, though. Um, and this is what will always crack me up is they might not know your name, but if they're over 30 fucking years old, they saw a sky surfer fly with a goose. Right. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. You know, and it's, so this is all, and I mean, tie it all in for me because this is all happening about the time you guys are competing together. The X Games really start to take off. And next thing you know, you're on the fucking Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah, that was. How did that, that was, happen? That man, the, <laughs> I, that was really cool. That was, um, oh man, yeah, that that was. I remember when Joe showed me the storyboards for that. Right. Um, he got he got the storyboards kind of early. He called me down to his office. He said, "Hey, man, check this out. There's this, you know, commercial that's going around." And it's the trickiest thing with, and this happens with all the jobs. It had already happened with a bunch of jobs prior to this, but. The cameramen always get the inside scoop. Sure. And Joe would always call me and say, come on down, man. Check this out. Like, look, look what's going on. This, they're doing this Pepsi commercial. So Joe had the storyboards real early. I'm like, man, I want to be a part of that. 
I got, you know, that's a big deal. It's Pepsi. You know, I didn't know it was going to be Super Bowl, but I said, I want, you know, I want to be a part of that. You try to get the inside in, you know, send them videos and all, but they, th- then they do a casting call. Right. And it's, it's always like, oh man, now they're going to see everybody. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Like, here we go. So you go to the casting call and, uh, that commercial was, I think Sean McCormick had it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. We went down there, uh, and you know, they wanted to see lots of facial features. It was a big deal to them. Look, we want a good sky surfer, but the, in the audition, they kept saying, can you do this face? Can you do this face? Cause there was so much of that was just what you're doing with your face to sure. communicate with the and I did my best, but I mean, I could tell when I walked out, I was like, well, that's just not my forte. <laughs> you know, that's right. not. Knew Sean was also, they'd seen Sean and Sean's man, he's an actor. He's got, a, he's really good with that real, you know, high energy. He's got that. Re- and no one knew who was going to get that job. It was about three weeks because they kept going back and forth. And that was three weeks of just being on pins and needles of just like, <laughs> Just darn it, darn it. You know, Sean was thinking, I know we were thinking the same thing because it's sure. like, I think it came, we we're both like, it's one of us. And I, I will always feel a little bit with that one. Like, like I kind of, I stole that one from Sean, but I mean, <laughs> I'm not regretting it, but I feel like he probably did a better job in the audition. And then for whatever reason, they just said, yeah, let's just, let's just go with Troy. He's worked with Joe one of those kind of things. Sure. But it was, man, it was a big deal. Getting that commercial was just, um, I didn't know it was going to be a Super Bowl commercial. And when it did show up on the Super Bowl, it was just like, holy shit. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah, man. You know, it was it, really, you, yeah. You don't get any more mainstream than that. I mean, that's yeah. it. Fucking halftime at the Super Bowl. Everybody yeah. saw that. Well, and the I, funny thing is, as a skydiver, I took pride in the fact that a skydiver made something that hit Super Bowl halftime because I was a jumper. So it was all of a sudden, all my friends were like, holy shit, did you see that skydiver that did that? And it was this collective sport pride that we got to have because one of ours was doing something on the fucking Super Bowl. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it was good. And and it won. won (laughs) Yeah. It it got the USA Today number one, you know, Um, which that was, yeah, the best one I've ever done. I mean, best, I, I don't see... I don't see beating it myself. No, it was, <laughs> it was a really, it was a really, really fucking good commercial. Yeah, now, yeah. So that commercial came out after you and Vic had won the the championship a few times, wasn't it? Or at yeah, least that once. was the, that was the other reason. The timing was they started auditioning in the fall of '97, and we yeah. had won the '97 X Games. Yeah. And Sean Sean was second. Yeah. So that was why they're like, "There's there's number one and two and and. I think a lot of it came down to, well, these guys are the champions, you know, they, they, so yeah, I mean, yeah, the timing was just, was just perfect for it. That was about the time that I actually met Vic because I was uh, a jumper in Las Vegas. Um, so, um, I had the opportunity to meet him, fly with him in the tunnel, become friends with him. And that's when him and Sammy Popov started flying together. Um, and of course, unfortunately not too far before, um, his accident, um, and I, I remember being blown away cause he was the first, um, competitor, first champion, first, any real big name in the sport that I'd had time to get to know, to find out, holy shit, he's so down to earth and he's so cool and he's so relaxed. And he more than anybody else, uh, kind of humanized the top dogs in the sport for me, which was the greatest thing ever because now so many of them I can call friends cause I wasn't scared to walk up and say hello to them. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, Vic, you know, and with Vic, he, uh, he was seven years older than me, I think six or seven years older than me. And he, you know, he taught me so many lessons. I just, I started to, for a brief period of time, probably around the time of making it to the top of the, the pack and competition, uh, you know, I probably started getting a little, you know, a little <laughs> bit of swagger and probably a little bit of like, and Vic was, man, he, he just kept me in line. He yeah. was the one that whenever, whenever I started doing something, cause he had the, he, he was, he had the maturity. He had been through so much more that he would, you know, say, Hey man, listen, cause first of all, I thought this was going to go on forever. Mm. I thought once we started winning the X games, we did some commercial, I thought, Oh, this is it. We're going to be making all this money and it's going to just forever. 
And he would be like, dude, just <laughs> realize this could be, this could be short lived. Sure. This and that. He was always really good about keeping me in line. And, sure. uh, uh, and as I get older, I always think about when I went, well, I think he died when he was 33. Yeah. And around the time I turned 33, I thought about him a lot and I said, man, I, uh, now I know how he saw things. Sure, you know how he was kind of with this sort of, uh, kind of with this sort of almost adolescent adolescent kid. That's sure, you know, he was with a, on a team with, and he had to kind of keep me in line a little bit. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's a little side, little little tangent about it. But yeah, Vic, uh, Vic was so great for, yeah. for the sport for everything. You know, he was. Yeah. He was just a complete Amazing. sweetheart. He really was. And yeah. uh, um, such a uh, bull. You guys as a team as well, though. I mean, you guys achieved so much. And, and for you as well, you guys were at the forefront of skydiving at that time, especially with sky surfing, which sky surfing kind of had a short life in skydiving. I mean, the, the it really didn't last all that many years. And what do you guys think was the ultimate downfall of sky surfing? What ended it? Why did it walk away? Well, you can give yours first if you want, but I think yeah. I know. Forty, what do you think? Well, I think it was um, <laughs> it was the difficulty aspect. Mm. I think that um, everyone wants to be everyone wants to be the skydiver. Everyone saw the adverts. Everyone wanted to be the sky surfer. And we had a huge amount of people join the sport because of the X Games, because of sky surfing. Sure. And you met so many people as baby skydivers who go, what, what, what's your goals? You know, you always ask someone, what, what do you want to do with this? You're going to go four way there. They're like, no, I want to ride a sky surfboard. I want to be a sky surfer. And it's like, okay. And then they see the, the path to riding the sky surfboard to fly the board is just not that easy. Right. You know? And it's, uh, I think there were other things came up, wingsuiting, like free flying was really taking off sort of mid nineties. Sure. And it was just easier to do it with your mates. And it's a very solo thing. You know, sure. the sky surfer and his cameraman are a very small, you know, they're a small team and sure. and that's it. So what, for me that was pretty much sky that No, I mean learning a sky surf sucks. I mean there's no <laughs> doubt about it. it Especially it, as the cameraman. It really freaking sucks. Um it's it's miserable and you're just like i'm gonna fight through this misery that's that's what you're doing but i think ultimately what happened just from kind of trying to get into the inside stories behind the scene back when the x games finally dropped sky surfing because look if the x games still had sky surfing sky surfing would still exist we sure. had a we had a decent pool of people out there willing to put in the time because there was a there was a per well there wasn't much of a purse it was actually ridiculous what, what we made. You paid more money to go to the competition than you ever made. <laughs> but here was the issue. It was not it was the lack of sponsorships hmm. that would support these teams. Because here we were at the X Games competing, you know, side to side by side with the Tony Hawks and the uh, you know uh, Hoffman, the biker, all these guys that are at the top, the top guys of those other disciplines were making millions and millions sure. and millions dollars from their sponsors to show up there even if they didn't take first place right and there were some problems espn was having some problems with the way sky surfing was structured the way our our uh entire we were all sponsored i think it was because one all of the teams as a group were sponsored by i think it was sony mm. and there was agreement with espn that if we were as a group going to show up and uh, and and compete and all these other things as part of the contract, then there can be no competing sponsors. We were told, and I don't know why, but we were told nobody can have sponsorship. Wow. Uh, in and it was a very broad range of categories. And so there were teams I remember that would show up from Europe and they had, and they're like, no, you got to take those stickers off. And it was, we didn't quite understand it. And I still don't, but we had to, we, we couldn't, we couldn't show certain logos. We were restricted. And so sponsored, we just couldn't be sponsored. Wow. And if you're not sponsored and you don't have that income from sponsorship, forget it. You're just spending money to go there. And then, and then of course, yes, then the weather, I think there's the aspect of it's such a weather dependent sport. Sure. And I think there were issues with, with, you know, a live program and have, and to have weather constantly shifting things around. So sure. those were the two reasons I think it disappeared. Because if there was another competition like that, I guarantee you people would come out of the woodwork. You know? Sure, sure. Uh, 
Do you think that uh, so, um, do you think that the general public not being able to understand what they were watching had stuff to do with it? Do you think that you know you you go to watch this venue and you got to watch the competition on a jumbotron because it's happening thirteen thousand feet above you? Uh, I, I always thought that was part of it, and then uh, I thought when McCormick pulled out the Invisible Man and you have to duct tape body parts to to keep from dying that. <laughs> all that stuff i think that that worked in our favor i don't think that was a big issue and i think the jumbotron part of it wasn't too big of an issue because you still get the the major audiences on tv sure i think uh again what it comes down to is a kid is watching tony hawk he's the man he's the winner wow look at the sunglasses he wears oh cool look at the shoes he wears what skateboard is he riding Mm. there's his sponsors you know making all money on the kids seeing what he's doing Nobody was watching sky surfing saying, I mean, maybe they did see what sunglasses we were wearing, but it didn't matter. We couldn't be sponsored by them. Sure. You know, there was no connection for the kids to be like, I want to do that or be that. I want to go buy this product. And the money wasn't there. And I feel that was a big part of it. Sure. Well, I mean, there were weird people like me that were only watching the X Games for the sky surfing. (laughs) As soon as the sky surfing was done, I turned the fucking TV off. I didn't want to see the rest of that shit. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> I think I think yeah, that's that's probably I think that's a hundred percent agree with why that's the why the commercial side of sky surfing disappeared mm. is is because of that. And I remember people having to cover the boards and stuff with black tape, which is a shame, you know, when you've got your sponsors. And we were sponsored, Mike and I were sponsored by PlayStation, Converse, Killer Loop, but we had to do underline marketing. We'd make our own little um, pieces to camera while we were at the uh, X Games or while we were at the Pro Tours, and then we would do it in the uk and they would we would get it on tv in the uk so that was enough for our sponsors but to um but absolutely 100 percent, everyone else in every other sport was uh that's a shame that's a shame well and i mean it's it's how many years now later that skydiving's really kind of been out of any view of the general public up until canopy stuff and now the the freestyle stuff is finally starting to grab the general public's attention that along with the wind tunnels shining light back on air sports um, but yeah. it kind of just faded after sky surfing went away skydiving went back away from the mainstream with a few exceptions and the one of the big exceptions being crazy fuckers like you that were doing some of the most bizarre shit <laughs> Dude. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, I've got a list sitting in front of me now of all the different things that you're credited with doing, and 90% of it, I cannot fucking believe a human being has done. What? Th- those were not my ideas, by the way. <laughs> How in the hell? W- where did the idea come from to set your fucking parachute on that's, fire? That's the one that I was thinking straight off the bat. That's the one I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and, and, well, me- and, and please describe to me how you pulled that off. Okay, well, I'll, I'll backstep just a bit to tell you that how the whole thing went down with MTV <laughs> Please. was this. Uh, I was fresh off of the, um, the Goose commercial, obviously. Yeah. And uh, this was, they were searching, what happened was they were searching for a show, sort of Johnny Knoxville style, Jackass style. Uh, and this was pre-Jackass. Right. And this producer was searching for a show where they could do all this weird stuff um and one of the thing one of the ideas they had was pushing an outhouse out of an airplane and so in the research process they called joe said hey you know is this something you could do and, and of course you know and i owe i owe joe big time for this forever i still take him out to dinner occasionally for this one thing in the conversation with the producer joe said so what's the deal with this show is it like have a host or are you just going to be doing a bunch they said, oh, yeah, yeah, we're, we're going to be looking for hosts. We're going to be looking for people. And he said, well, you know, I, I, you should call this guy Troy Hartman because he's really – because I was actually taking acting classes at that time. I thought, nice. oh, I should you know, see what I can do with this little bit of fame from the Goose commercial. I'm sure. see what I can do next. And Joe threw my name in the hat. They called me up, had me come up to MTV. And when – that's when they saw the Goose commercial – and that's when we, you know, we sat down and discussed all this stuff. And suddenly the show just changed. Hmm. They said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Whoa, we can do some cool stuff. Because I started telling them about some, you know, some of the, just basic stuff. Like, you know, Patrick had done the whole thing flying back into the porter. Right. 
You know, there was this stuff that I was telling him, oh, you should see some of the cool stuff, you know, that's, and I'd love to, sure, let's do some of that stuff. It'd be really cool. So long story short, they, they decided, okay, they, we did, we shot a pilot and the pilot was successful. They said, you know what, we're going to, we're going to do a season of this. We're going to go for it. So let, give us a wish list of the things you want to do, you know, to get us started. Jeez. So I did, but my wish list, my wish list was was the stuff we did in season one. And it was like, if you look back at season one was like, Oh, it'd be cool to go do to go do a cluster balloon flight. Right. Or it'd be cool to, to go out and, uh, you know, I don't remember all this. I gave him a short list. It was like 10 things and we did them, but then I was done with my list. Right. And suddenly it's, what do we do now? I'm like, well, I don't, I don't know. I don't really have any other ideas. So now they're coming up with these ideas and they're, they're fucking crazy. I mean, they were they were the ones that were coming to me saying, could you do this? And I'm like, and I was, man, I was put in the corner so many times where I would be like, I, I don't know. I got to, you know, and I'd call Joe or I'd call Todd Shoebotham, the guys that were on the set with me. I'd say, do you think I can do this? What do you think? And I had to, I had to ask them, what do you think? And they'd right. say, you know what? I, you can do that. You can do that. I'm confident you can do that. And I had to get that. I had to get that reaffirmation back, that affirmation back, because, I mean, I was scared out of my mind. I mean, the yeah. last two, it's like they were the ones coming. So, so fast forward to the parachute on fire stunt. Yeah, that was, um, that was, a, that was at the very kind of the last season. That was sort of near the end. We were running out of ideas. We sure. really were running out of ideas. And I think it was Brian Burke from Eloy. Okay. Was talking to Joe or somebody, and we were ta- they were talking about the show. And Brian Burke said, hey, you know what you guys should do is I've always thought it'd be really cool for someone to light their parachute on fire. So it was fully Brian Burke. And Joe said, well, that would be awesome. Or whoever was talking to Brian, could could they do that on the show? Would you care? And he said, give me a thousand bucks and you guys can do it or whatever. He just said, just give me some money for the idea. Right. Next thing I know, they said, we're going to do this parachute on fire thing. So no, that, none of that, that, that stuff wasn't my idea, but that was Brian's. That one in particular was Brian's and it was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I got to know <laughs> though. So first off, how the fuck did you manage to set the whole parachute on fire? Cause that's still watching the clip. Difficult. And then you, you've, you've got a great photo up of you still under what looks like a flying parachute, but it's just a ball of flame. <laughs> how, how, how did you guys pull no. that off? Okay. So luckily we had a, we brought a pyro, uh, professional Hollywood pyro guy on, you know, and said, how do we do this? What are what are we going to have to deal with? And the biggest, first of all, they had to come up with a good mix. I mean, they did a ton of testing. They mm. did a ton of testing on the ground with, a, with big fans. They went through multiple canopies and they found that the burn, when they first started just dunking it in kerosene and then, you know, putting it in the fan and lighting it, it was doing nothing or it was burning up really fast or it was just uneven. They, they did so many, they tried so many different things. And I know that in the end, they, they mixed, you know, they had a certain mixture of kerosene and something else that was like gel. It was like a gel that wouldn't evaporate too quickly. Sure. And then they put a bunch of uh, cotton, they put a bunch of cotton baffles to absorb. They, they just did all this stuff, right? But no, we had no idea if, how it was going to go. But the one thing they told me was you got to get open and you got to light this thing quick because in about 10 seconds, it'll have evaporated and, right. and that's it. It's, it's not going to happen. So we had one shot at it and I, you know, I'm up in the plane, it's just in the bucket and, uh, Joe was going out with me and, and it was, it was a bit of a cluster because, you know, I jumped and they had said, make sure Joe gets there before, you know, make sure you give time, Joe time to get there before you do the, the whole thing. And what had happened was Joe, the helicopter almost took Joe out on that particular stunt because as soon as I jumped, Joe went to go out after me and the helicopter pilot just freaking flew right underneath the otter. Right as Joe was getting ready to go, he saw the helicopter. And so he almost died right there, but he, he didn't jump. He delayed. So then by the time I'm open, I'm looking around for him and I'm taking my sweet time because I'm like, well, what's the point if Joe's not here? Right. It's just, we've blown the whole thing. And so I waited a little bit and when I did shoot it, yeah, I thought it was not going to happen. It was just, it was like nothing happened. I right. shot it and I was like, well, that's it. 
you know, we're done. We just wasted all this money. That's the, that's not going to happen. Right. But then you see, you start seeing the little, you know, the little embers and you start seeing stuff happening. And of course I'm just like, Oh shit. (laughs) Oh shit. What's going to happen here? Right. (laughs) And then it started going. And of course it's like, whoa. And and then, yeah, I just, I just, my, you know, the main concern is, is this thing going to wrap me up? What, you know, but I figured as long as it's behind me, you know, sure. it's just, you know, and, and it just, I did, I wrote out the little, you know, ball of burnt material and it, it was, yeah, it was really cool. I mean, it went perfectly. All right. That's part one of Troy Hartman with Lunatic Fringe in the can brought to you by Pussfoot.com, the extreme sports collective. Head to Pussfoot.com and check them out. Brought to you by Summit Parachute Systems, Jarrett Martin, Awesome rigging courses, awesome pilot rigs, and of course, brought to you by the one and only NZ Aerosports. Check them out. Come on. Fuck yeah. As for me, I am the fucking pilot. You find me at thefuckingpilot.net or theprincesspilot.com. Takes you to the same place. It's going to get you all the podcasts as well as both the books. We will see you next time for part two with Troy. <laughs>